Ecclesiastes 1, 1 to 11. Join me as we read from God's word. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says a preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To, to the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be remembrance of latter things yet to come among those who come after. Join me in prayer. Abba, Father. Your word says all is vanity, yet we enter your presence today seeking the wisdom and guidance of your counsel through our comforter, the Holy Spirit. We are thankful and grateful for the truths of your word. Thank you for all that has gone before us and all that is yet to come. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This brings us great comfort during these times of turmoil and uncertainty. Be with Greg, Becca, and their family as they travel this week. Thank you for their time with their families. Thank you for your healing touch to our leadership and our body this week. And thank you for your continued protection. Now, Father, we ask that you open our ears and our hearts to your truths today. Lead Justin through the power of your spirit. Fill this room with your presence. Draw us closer to your heart and wrap your loving arms around each of us. We ask all this in the powerful and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1 this morning, I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, turn in your Bible. I want you to see these words. I want you to remember these words. I want you to take notes. If, uh, if you didn't already on your way in, grab one of our discipleship guides. We put together an Ecclesiastes discipleship guide, almost 20,000 words of study, of notes, of uh, children's activities, of discussion questions, would encourage you to grab one of those that's in our lobby. 
And, uh, but I, w- I want you to write down and take notes. Um, one of the things that we're going to see is that this book is full of wisdom. And, uh, and I hope that it gives wisdom for all of life as we really step into that. As, uh, <coughs> as you turn there this morning, uh, I'll start off by a few announcements. Uh, one being, uh, t- tonight we kick off community groups for Ecclesia. Uh, they're meeting all over the valley. Uh, we have four currently, uh, and we are encouraged uh, that we have more hopefully coming online soon. And uh, we'll be joining together. And so as you dismiss this morning, we're going to have the leaders of those groups be in different areas of where they're located in the city. There's signs in the lobby. If you are not connected to a community group, we would encourage you come, get connected, join in. Uh, They don't all meet on Sunday night. They meet at different times during the week, different areas across the valley. We'd love to get you there. And, uh, and we are walking through Ecclesiastes in those community groups. And so we're going to be doing a deeper dive into what we're even talking about this morning. And uh, would encourage you to do that. Equip groups, uh, sign up will begin next week. We're going to be offering uh, three different resources for equip groups. One being friend of sinners, really just equipping us for evangelism. Um, that one's going to be offered on Zoom. Uh, We're going to have gospel-centered life that I'm going to be leading here at our uh, church building early uh, one morning during the week. And then we're going to have Jesus Continued about the role of the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be offered uh, during the day during the week and then also an an evening time here during the week. So uh, these are kind of your deeper dive studies. Would encourage you to jump in and get involved. Um, If... uh, you're not involved at Ecclesia in some type of servant capacity. We'd love to get you serving. Uh, we are thankful, and I'll just kind of pause here for a moment. And I want to thank our kids' workers and many people, uh, because I think majority of you are already serving in some capacity within kids, uh, that, that we are able to open up some of our classrooms and have kids' ministry back online. We're thankful for all the volunteers and time and efforts that that team is putting into it. And, uh, and really thankful that we get to start this book this morning, Ecclesiastes. And so, um, as we look at this book, we've entitled this series, Life Under the Sun. You're going to see that in our text this morning, and I'll help define what that means. It's a very key phrase, and it's a phrase that's used very often in this text. I'll, I'll help define that. Ecclesiastes is a unique book. If you weren't already thrown off by maybe just the Debbie Downer that we just heard Solomon just kind of throw at us about life. And if life isn't already hard enough, then we got to come and deal with some of these stark realities of like, man, life is hard. And it's in understanding and coming to grips with the reality of life that we can actually really live. And that's what we want to help do. We want to help give this wisdom. This is wisdom literature. If you've not read wisdom literature before, a lot of times it's poetic in nature. It's, it's, it's sense of, of being poetry makes it somewhat seemingly hard to understand at times. Uh, what we don't have in Ecclesiastes, which kind of puts it at the bottom shelf for all of us, no matter if you're just walking into church today for the very first time, what we don't have in Ecclesiastes is anything about the history of Israel. There's nothing about church history here. There's nothing about Old Testament here. There's nothing about like what's what's happened in the life of the church in in the two thousand years that that it's nothing of this. It's just really this. It's all about life. 
And so here we are, we're, we're kind of faced with this text, it's easily accessible, and what you're going to find as we read through it is, there, there's kind of not a, a, a very succinct flow through the book. It wanders, it meanders, it kind of, he starts going this direction, and then it like takes a turn and it goes this direction. <coughs> Isn't that life? Like, I, I started 2022 with all these rules and goals, and, and like, hey, this is what life's going to be about, right? And then our f- whole family got COVID last week, and we're like, we did not see that coming. Can we do a do-over? Like, I, I want to start the year over. Anybody else want to start the year over? Already, like, the first two weeks have already kind of been thrown at us, and we're going, I just want to, let's, let's start again. And we want the high beams, like we want to be able to see all of 2022. We want to be able to see 10 years ahead, but the Word of God says the Word is a lamp unto our feet. What does that mean? It means we're, we can see enough to take a step. And the reality is, is that ability to take a step, God gives us that insight enough faith, enough wisdom, enough insight to be able to take a step so that we continue to walk with him. And that's what he wants to do. You're going to read in Ecclesiastes, it's going to seem like it it somewhat contradicts itself at times. Or maybe you're going to be reading Ecclesiastes and go, that doesn't sound like the rest of the Bible. It's seemingly contradictory and what you're going to see is that's life under the sun. Life as we see it, this life under the sun, this life lived apart from God without insight of who God is can seem very contradictory to the rest of the world, the rest of the, the, the Bible. It's a, it's a troublesome book. But one of the things that, that I want to do is I want to do a very Christological reading of Ecclesiastes. You're like, what in the world does that mean? It means that we want to see this through the lens of Jesus. We want to read the Bible like Jesus reads the Bible. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, Jesus said this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, okay, this is the Old Testament. He interpreted to them, he's talking to a crowd of people, and he says, starting with Moses, starting with the the prophets, starting with the Old Testament, he taught them from the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, if you grew up in church, or maybe you have a little bit of background about the Bible, you know, like, Jesus doesn't really show up until we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that's about halfway through the Bible. But what's interesting is, Jesus is telling this group of people right here, all of the scripture is actually about me. Ecclesiastes is about Jesus. And and while We don't see the name Jesus in this book. Jesus is very present. And we need to have a Christological reading, a view through the lens of Jesus. How is Jesus present in this book? In John 5.39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so... We're going to read through this in light of Jesus. And so every week, there's been a really great resource that, that's been put out in the last few years 
by Sidney Gradanus called Preaching Christ from Ecclesiastes. It's a great resource. I'd encourage you to grab it, read it. We're going to still a lot of the, the, the thoughts that, that Sidney pl- plants in that book because it points to Jesus in everyone. And so today, we're going to get to Jesus. In these 11 verses that we're going to look at here in Ecclesiastes, we're going to see how does this point us to Jesus because I'm telling you, church, listen, these 11 verses are hard to read without a view of Jesus. These 11 verses are are really crushing and depressing. And if you've ever faced some of the questions that these verses reference, outside of Jesus, it can be a weight that's unbearable. And so, why Ecclesiastes? As we start this morning, I, I want to kind of talk about why, why are we spending time with this book? We've wanted to teach it for a while, and, and the last year has kind of been a, a year of transition. And so as we've kind of planted ourselves here, we're like, let's start the year with Ecclesiastes, a book full of wisdom. What better to do? And, and I think this is the, what I want to give you this morning, the why of Ecclesiastes. I, I think every day we, we ask so many questions. We, we wake up and we go, well, what will I wear today? And maybe some of you, uh, somebody lays out your clothes and you put on what they put, and, and that's helpful, right? And some of you, you, you like to have that sense of choice. And, and you're like, I, I want to dress myself, and so what do I wear, you know? What, what shoes do I match with my shirt and all of these things, right? And so what will the weather be like? What will I eat? Where will I go? But then we come to a place where... It's not these just kind of small questions that we deal with in life, but these bigger questions of going, what is life about? Where am I going? Where did I come from? What's my purpose? Why am I here? Is there more to life than what I'm currently experiencing? And if you're anything like me or anything like most people, sometimes these questions can haunt us. And sometimes these questions are maybe best left out of reach and avoided. But here's what I would tell you. Follow with me on the screen. If you live to be 70, and I hope you live beyond 70, if you live to be 70 years old, you will spend 20 years and three months asleep. Okay? That's a lot of time. 10 years and five months watching TV. For some, maybe a little more. Some a little less. Five years and nine months in some form of transportation. Seven years and six months eating and drinking. And if you're 30 years old, I took our median age here, all right, you have 350,000 hours left to live. Anybody look at that number and you're like, that's not enough, right? 350,000 hours? I need more. There's lots that I want to do. And if you're older, it may be that, that even like you're starting to do the math, all right? What you do is you take how many years you have left, you multiply that, you, you'll get it, right? 350,000 hours left to live if you're 30 years old. We're going to spend the next 14 weeks, 14 hours, 14 hours over the next 14 weeks. Helping you, giving you wisdom from one of the most wise p- 
people who has ever lived telling us how to make those 350,000 the most meaningful. That's our goal. And that's why I'm encouraging you, don't miss. Like the next 14 weeks, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to help us figure out how to make those 350,000 hours the most meaningful. Now, it's understandable to want to avoid some of the questions that Ecclesiastes is going to deal with. I love one commentator, and get this, because I, th I think this describes in, in such a clear way of how many of us respond to this book. It says, Ecclesiastes sounds like a crazed man downtown. He smells like he hasn't bathed, looks like it too. And as we pass by, he won't stop glaring at us and beckoning to us that your lives are built on illusions and you're all going to die. So most of us choose to get our lunch at a different shop on a less dreary corner of town because his moodiness can run a good time. Who's all about having a good time? Who's my good timers, all right? You're like, we don't need to deal with all the dread. It's all about having a good time. That's me. I love that. I love, and I'm like, I want to avoid it. If our life is, is built on illusions, some of us don't want to know, right? We're like, don't tell me. I'm enjoying life. I don't want to know if it's built on illusions. And for many of us, to reveal the illusion, it, it means that we've got to start all over. It means that we're tearing down the foundation of what we've built our life on. And that's scary. And that's weighty. And so we see that there's a crazy old man, and I'll tell you that the crazy old man who I believe, the passage doesn't tell us exactly, but I'll tell you why I believe it, to be Solomon. It starts off in verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Okay, so we go the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. That fits Solomon. <coughs> it tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 that this man, who, this preacher that's speaking to us here in Ecclesiastes also wrote all sorts of Proverbs, which if you know, Proverbs was written by Solomon, and so that would, would tie it to it. But we, we see in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, we go back into the Old Testament. We see Solomon asking for wisdom. He says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I must discern between good and evil, for who is able to, to govern your great people? And it says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you've asked this and you've not asked for yourself for life or for, for riches um, or, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for, your, for understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. I give you a wise and discerning mind so that no one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall rise after you. And so this is just a picture of a man of wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. Now, I, I'm going, if that guy exists, and he's written something down about life, 
I probably want to listen. If God gave someone wisdom beyond measure, that's somebody we should listen up to. And so that's why I believe this, this passage here, this is written by King Solomon. King Solomon has given us this wisdom. This word preacher in verse 1 is the word koheleth. And it's basically a teacher over a gathered people. And so this is King Solomon late in his life, an old, grouchy old man. And, and he's, he's here and he's teaching and he's pouring out wisdom to the Israelites, his people, his people he loves and cares for. And, and he's older in, in, in years and he's passing down wisdom. And I think it's wise if, if you're 30, if you're 40, if you're 50 here, we all need people who are much older than us investing in us. And I would encourage you if you go to community groups this week, uh, you should pause. If you're, if you're younger, just be quiet for a little bit, okay? It's wise in, in a room full of people who are older to listen and, and to open your ear to people who have experienced life longer than, than you've been alive. And, and, and so that's what King Solomon's doing. King Solomon here is a, a preacher who's speaking to a group of people. And what's interesting about this group of people is they're no longer in survival mode. If you think about the Israelites, for so much uh, time in their history, they were, they were dealing with, how do we survive? How do we not be enslaved? How do we actually you know, get on with life? And this is the first time that they're not trying to like, just survive, that they actually have a, a means of wealth. They're actually doing well, and it's now that like they have... More things and more things and more money bring what? More problems. So many of us think that if we just have more stuff, more money, that it's going to make everything okay. And what for them, it's like, it's, it's not only now like we have more money, we have more resources, we have, but how do we hold on to it? How do we hang on to these resources? It's not just about the what, like, what am I going to eat today? It, it's, it's like, well, why? And, and they have time and they have space to deal with some of these really hard questions in life. And so this is who he's preaching to. And he's going to point out four things. That's kind of the background. I spent 20 minutes talking about some of the background. That kind of sets us up where we're headed. But he's going to point out four things in this text about our life that are revealing of some of the illusions we believe. I'll give them to you out of the gate. Number one, the pace of life, the profit of life, the perspective of life, and the purpose of life. He's going to reveal these four things in this text this morning. The pace of life, the profit of life, the perspective of life, the purpose of life. Let's start with the first one, the pace of life. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2 <coughs> says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This is a common verse that, that many of us know. And we, we read that, and, and some of your Bibles, some of your translations take the word vanity, and they, they translate it as meaningless. And I will tell you that this word does not mean meaningless. It's not that all of life is meaningless. This idea of vanity is basically talking about life being a vapor. The word vanity... Is the same word that's used in the Bible talking about vapor. James 4.14, what is your life? 
for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. And this is the idea of, of like out of the gates, he's like, you think you're going to have longevity. You think you're going to have all of these years. The, the illusion that he's tearing down here is you think that you're going to have forever. You think that your life is going to be one of significance. You think that your life is going to be one of meaning. You think that your life is going to be this one that, that changes the course of history. And he's like, you're just a vapor. And how many of us want to avoid the idea that our life is just a vapor? We want our life to be permanent. We spend countless hours trying to make permanent what was never meant to be permanent. We spend countless hours. COVID has been a gift to us in revealing life is a vapor. There's been a lot of loss. There, there's been many people who have lost loved ones, and, and, it's, and it's saddened, and it's hard, and it's, and it's caused a lot of us to wrestle with some of the realities. But COVID has been a gift in the sense that this is not permanent. This is not forever. Life doesn't just go on. Death is the reality of all of us. Guess what? Ten out of ten of you will die. And it's going to seem like this. I spent the first 20 years of my life thinking, when can I get here, right? If I, I just want to be able to drive. I want to get out of high school. I want to live on my own. I want to get a job. I want to get married. I want to have kids. And then, like, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, 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 throw on the brakes. How do I slow all this down now? Because things are just out of control. The pace. I, I look at my daughter, and I'm going, I felt like I brought her home yesterday. How do we slow this down? If you ask anyone in their later years of life, they're going, it's, it's, it won't stop. Solomon is tearing down the illusion that life is not forever. What if we began to think, I, I read this yesterday, and that when we're born, we're a time billionaire. Okay? Like, and, and, and you're a billionaire when it comes to time. Now, given most of us, we don't know how many days we, we have left on this planet. This could be our last breathing day. But for most of us, like, in our early years, we're time billionaires. And so, I have all of this time, but I'm constantly spending it. And I can't buy anymore. I can't get it back. And so how I steward my time is very important. How I use my time is very important. How many of us spend our life living for this big moment? And what he's telling us is, life's a vapor. It's a vapor. In October of 2019, my mom passed away. I remember being really the, the first person in my life that I was, outside of grandparents and 
But I, I just felt like in her, like, life was taken too soon. I, I, I just look at her life and I go, you know, she's 60 years old. She, she worked most of her life to retire, to spend time with her grandkids, to like enjoy life with us here, to be invested in our church, to serve in kids' ministry. This is what she would love. And then all of a sudden, I mean all of a sudden, her life is taken. And I remember sitting with that, and this idea that life is a vapor really hit me. It's fast. And the reality of that honestly caused me to move into a place that was very dark and depressing. During the exact same time, a pastor friend of mine took his own life. And I felt like it validated all the things that I was thinking that like, man, is, what is there to this life? It's just so quick. And for him to take his life, I mean, it, it just seems like, what is there? What's the purpose of this life? And maybe you've been there. And I remember October 2019, and then like four months later, here we are isolated in our homes. And I just remember sitting in my backyard, and I'm going, oh, this is hard. Life's quick. And that's where that qualifier, under the sun, came in. If under the sun is all there is to life, then we should be pitied. And we should be depressed. And we should be hopeless. But there's not only life under the sun, there's life above the sun. When I thought about my mom's life and I thought about this life under the sun, if if all my mom had to live for was looking forward to retirement, spending time with grandkids, serving in our church, that would be a very sad ending. But she longed for something more. She longed for life above the sun. And that's an opportunity, I think, and an invitation for us to see that life is a vapor. It's quick. But God has given us life above the sun, life for eternity. The second thing that he faces here is the profit of life. In Ecclesiastes 1.3, it says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, it's a rhetorical question, you can process it quietly. You feel like your work is a toil. It's just draining. It feels like it's going nowhere. You're just in the same mundane job day after day after day, and you're like, what is the purpose of this? What gain is there? Now, there's some earthly answers to that. I think there is some life under the sun answers to that. You may ask like, 
What, what is there to gain? Well, there's wealth, there's happiness, there's significance. And we're about to see he's about to tear all those down in just a second and say that they're illusions. Because your job is never meant to create any of those things. We read back in Genesis chapter 3, if you look at one of the, the curses upon Adam, is that his work would now be toilsome. Work was a, was a part of life before the fall. Before sin entered the world, work was a part of life. It's not like, hey, now we got to work because you sinned. That's not how it worked. God gave us a sense of enjoyment and, and caused us to, to seek enjoyment in our jobs, that it would be a place where we enjoy what we do. But because of the fall, because of disobedience to God, we began looking to our job for other things. And what he said is it's going to be toilsome. We're never going to find meaning and satisfaction in our job like we desire to. But what's interesting, in Genesis chapter 5, you read about the generations. It comes down and there's a man named Lamech, and Lamech has a son named Noah. And the prophecy spoken over Noah's life in Genesis chapter 5 <coughs> was, it says, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. If you know anything about Noah, Noah was a type of Christ. He was a picture of, of what's to come. In many ways, like what Noah couldn't bring completely, Jesus would bring. Jesus would bring relief to our work and toil from our hands that in the Lord our labor would not be in vain. We ask, what does a man gain by all the toil? If that hasn't caused you to really just like evaluate your work, like why do I do this? It's not that like work is not meant to be hard. It's the why behind what we, we do. It's the why of our work. Why do we work? Why do we go about the things that we do? What's interesting in this as we look back, and Jesus talks a lot about work. And Jesus talks about profit and gain in this world. Because this passage is all about gain. What can I gain in this world? And he's going to spend the rest of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 saying, you're not going to gain anything. Now that's depressing. But Jesus talks about gain. Jesus says you can profit. In Matthew 16, 26, it says, For what will it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? When people forfeit their life, they have no gain in this life. But he told in another parable, in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 20, he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? Because I have nowhere to store all that I've gained. I have all these crops. What do I do with them? I've, I've profited. And he said, well, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and I'll put all my goods and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, him, said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? He's like, 
it's not going to profit you. But it says in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So those who are rich towards God are the ones who can gain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You can profit from your work if it's in the Lord, if you're rich towards God. Now, what does that mean? How do I understand that? How do I describe that? Here's what I would say. Early on in my life, like in junior high, I felt called to ministry. Meaning like, I felt like God told me one day I would be doing exactly what I'm doing today. That I would be serving people and loving people and caring for people and teaching God's words to people. And that that God would call me to that task. And I remember as I continued in in my journey, there was a a time where I was like, you know, that sounds cool and all. But uh, I kind of want to be a doctor. And so... I, I went pre-med and I started college and I kind of went down that track. And, and I remember like I, I, I was trying to justify that and I go, you know what, I'll do medical missions, you know, and that's a way to like give God his. And now that wasn't me being rich towards God. That was me being rich towards Justin, right? I wanted to take care of me. The work that I was doing, the why behind my work was take care of Justin, and so I justified it, and I said, you know, I'll do medical missions, I'll, I'll serve in some capacity, I'll, I'll, I'll give of my resources. And I remember, you know, God saying, hey, that's not enough. And really making me unhappy in that place. And I remember just going like, I have to surrender to this call. I have to surrender. I have to be rich towards God, meaning completely surrendering my life over to Him. That doing the Lord's work. Now, here's what I would say. You don't have to be in ministry to do the Lord's work. You can be a stay-at-home parent, a doctor, a lawyer, a banker, a teacher, whatever, and be in the Lord's work. Because the purpose in which He has you there is to continue to be fruitful and advance His kingdom in whatever capacity you're serving. He hasn't called all of us to stand up and teach from God's Word up here, up front, and lead a congregation of people. But your job and your value, it matters when it's done in being rich to the Lord. I had some friends who recently moved here. I was thankful to have them move back to the state of Utah. They used to live here. And if you've lived in the state of Utah, raising kids in the state of Utah, it's a challenging place at times. I know there's beautiful things to experience. I mean, I, I tell my friends in Texas, like, it's a joy to be able to drive 30 minutes up a canyon and go like snow skiing, right? There's a a lot of privileges here that we wouldn't experience, but it's also a challenging place. And as a believer in Jesus and and somewhat in a minority crowd, you go into your workplace and you feel isolated. It's a hard place. And remember, they're at a place where their job allows them to basically live anywhere they choose to live, anywhere in the world. And they chose to come back here and live in Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, they asked me, is that a mistake? And I'm like, oh, no, that's not, that's great, right? You know, I spoke words of wisdom. I said, here's what, what I've always believed. Only one life till soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Are you moving here because the Lord's asked you to move here? To come and pick up your job and, and to plant your life here 
in Salt Lake City and, and to invest in the lives of people in whatever career field, in whatever job position that God has placed you in? Are you rich towards God in that? Because that is the only place where we will gain. Nowhere else in life will we gain. And that's where we get to the perspective of life. He gives us perspective. He shows us that there's going to be no gain. How does he do that? He says, a generation goes, a generation comes. You're going to die, and and the people behind you are going to soon take over where you left off. And behind you is a a whole other slew of people. A generation goes, a generation comes, the earth remains forever. The same sun that came up over Adam and Eve rose over us this morning. Is that not crazy? And we think we're so significant. Life goes on. The sun rises, the sun goes down, it hastens to the place where it rises. Look at the cycle here that he describes. The wind blows to the south, it goes around to the north, it goes around the wind, and it circuits and the wind returns. It's just there's this cycle. It's a never-ending cycle. What do we want? We want to break out of the cycle. We want to be different. We want to be new. What does he tell us? There's nothing new. You're not going to be anything new. You want to get out of this repetitive cycle, and you can't. You want to get out of the repetitive cycle of dealing with death, and you can't. You want to get out of this repetitive cycle that nothing fills like this hole in my life, and you can't. He says, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. Isn't that crazy? All the streams in the entire world, they, they're running to the sea, but yet the sea doesn't fill. Why? Well, there's this thing called evaporation, and you get it, science class, right? We won't have to go there. But the, the sea never fills, and it's a picture of our life. That is this cycle of life that we constantly live in, that we're, we're seeking. We want something to get full. We want our lives to be something of significance. We're wanting that, that void in our life to be filled, and it's not. And we live in this constant cycle that he describes here, and we're chasing after these things that he describes here, and it says, all things are full of weariness. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. You can never see enough. There never comes a time where it's like, my eyes have seen everything they need to see. I can be blind now. Right? No, they, they constantly want to see more. You can't get enough. That's why there's constant scrolling. Right? You're like, I just can't get enough. It just keeps going. And they knew to put it on that little, like, it just... It keeps going. The scrolling never ends. It never gets to the bottom like you've seen it all. You just keep going and it just, it's day after day after day. Your eyes never get to a point where they no longer want to see. Your ear never gets tired of hearing. It never does. And we need this perspective. What has been is what will always be. What has been done is what will always be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. The perspective he, gets, he gives us in this is a new generation's coming. This world will never get anywhere. It's cyclical. 
You're never going to be made full. You will never feel like you've seen it all. And there's nothing new. You're longing for something that's going to finally break that cycle, and it doesn't exist. This is wonderful that he tells us this. Why? So we quit searching for it. I was recently doing premarital counseling with a couple. And I told them, I was like, you uh, right now have this mindset that getting married is the ultimate thing. That it's meant to fill the eyes, it's meant to fill the ears, it's meant to fill the heart, it's meant to satisfy every longing, and I, I want you to be prepared. Please hear me. You need to have healthy expectations. It was never intended to be that. Marriage is a signpost. Marriage is a gift given by God to point us to God. It was given as a way, never meant to be this ultimate thing of this place of like, oh, I'm finally satisfied. It was meant to be a signpost to point us to the ultimate reality that only God can fill. And as long as we hold it in this light of God-like status, it will constantly let us down. This passage is a gift to us because it's telling us everything that you experience under the sun is meant to be enjoyed, is meant to be something that brings us joy and happiness, but it's never meant to be ultimate. And as long as you make it God, it will continue to let you down. But if you will give it the standard that it is, that you will enjoy these things, that these things are not out to be things that you gain, but things just to be, they're gifts. And they're meant to be enjoyed, but not seen as ultimate. Then, and only then, will we have that proper perspective. We need that perspective. We need a perspective to see that it is only God. There's nothing under the sun that can satisfy. C.S. Lewis says, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is we're made for another world. Life above the sun. Actor Jim Carrey said, I wish that everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would know it's not the answer. He's given us Solomon's wisdom here. You can spend your whole life, the sea can, can, can journey, all the streams can be flowing, and it will never be full. So what's the purpose of all of this? And that's what I'll get to lastly, the purpose of life. What's the purpose of all this? If you read verses 1 through 11, Ecclesiastes is not void of God, but Ecclesiastes 1 through 11 is void of God. God's not in this passage. It talks about life under the sun, not life above the sun. This is a picture. Life under the sun is life apart from God. A life that seems meaningless. A life 
It's like a mist that appears for a little while and then it's gone. A life where, where profit and gain is not experienced. A life where the, satis- like the longings of our heart are never satisfied. The purpose in all of this is to get us to God. The purpose in this whole book is to get us to life above the sun. The purpose of this whole book, as one commentator says, it says, Ecclesiastes seems like one of the ways God says to us, the world and your life are more broken than you now realize, and God created us for something more satisfied, satisfying than we could ever believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. That's a life worth living for. Like Adam and Eve, I think we look for things, we strive for things, we, <laughs> we try to experience this when God's gift is right before us. God has has given us this truth in Ecclesiastes so that we would face reality, so that we would get rid of the illusions, and that we would finally see that what we're actually longing for is Him. It's Him. What what Ecclesiastes does is it, it tells us how life really is. I remember when I was planting our church here, I remember visiting other church planters in the city. And you know what? No one, like, not a single pastor that I met when I visited here, I don't know how helpful this is or not, but they were all discouraging. They were like, oh, you won't believe how hard it is. You won't believe how hard it is to get your church off the ground. You won't believe how hard it is to... You know, people betray you. They'll stab you in the back. It's going to be hard. We're depressed. We're lonely. We're isolated. And I'm like, yeah, we're real excited. We're coming next month. (laughs) And what it did, honestly, for me is, like, it it brought a dose of reality to my life and and said, okay, I, I should probably know those things going in and not look for satisfaction and meaning and and significance from this role, but lean upon God and walk with the Lord in this process. I believe that's what Solomon is doing for us. He's given us life like it really is. He's given us life like most of us experience it. If we were to take a poll around the room this morning, I'm sure that many of us Ask some of these questions this week. We're struggling with that. And what Solomon wants to tell us is life under the sun is not all there is. And in Christ, in Christ, there's a why behind your work and your toil. In Christ, The cyclical nature of life can be broken. That he makes us new in the midst of it. In Christ, 
when it says in verse 11 that none will be remembered, he says, in Christ I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You will be remembered. He knows your name. The Father cares for you. In Christ, he meets us in all of these moments, in all of the dark nights of the soul, in all of the hard and difficult questions that we wrestle with. He meets us and shows us that life under the sun is not all there is. That's good news. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning knowing and believing and wrestling with some of these questions that Solomon is presenting us with. Lord, I pray over the next 14 weeks that you would give us wisdom to deal with these questions. You would give us discernment. You would give us your word and your truth to help guide us in these moments. Lord, I've been there. I've been moments of, of just experiencing depression and longing of going, what am I here? What am I doing? So, Lord, I pray you know the hearts of our church that's sitting here this morning. And you know the questions that they're wrestling with. And I pray that whatever dissatisfaction that people are sitting here with and experiencing in life, that they would see that it is there because it's meant to create a, a longing for life above the sun. So, Lord, I pray that you would meet them. Lord, I pray that you would meet us. Even as we sing and as we worship, Lord, that we would see that while we're under the sun, we're not alone. That you're with us. God, you're leading us. You love us. You're our Father. So, Lord, minister to us in these next few moments. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.